The Perfectly Generic Podcast contains spoilers, occasional adult language, and Vriska. You've been warned. Peach and Pot is listener-supported, and I wanted to thank our Crocker-tier patrons Artemis Ruby, Bo Kind Abstrata, Christian Labrio, Dizzy, Isaac Alexander, Justin Cope, Legfish, Max May, uh, Watch Revolutionary Girl Utena, and Read Umaneko When They Cry for their generous support per episode. The T-Pose is the modern-day equivalent of Da Vinci's Vitruvian Man. All things are cyclical. Welcome to the Perfectly Generic Podcast. Uh, this week... I want to do I, I want to do the curse intro this time. Too bad! It's my fucking show still, for now, until I am dragged out of my own podcast by, by, a, by a, a, a committee of discoursers with torches. It is still my show. Until the cancellation police arrive and yeah. arrest you. Yeah. <laughs> the podcast Stasi. Um <laughs> we uh this week we're gonna talk about the ultimate self. I've got Artemis Ruby with me. How's it going? Uh well I'm right before we started, I was watching kids' cartoons and enjoying them as a matter of fact, so I guess it's going pretty good. What are you watching? Were you watching the new Rocco's Modern Life? Uh no, because unfortunately I don't have the nostalgia to watch it, but I was actually watching 12 Forever. Pretty decent, actually. Apparently there's discourse about it, but there's always discourse there's about di- it. Everyone so. loves discoursing about yeah. cartoons, and it's like, bro, they're... <laughs> I, it's, <laughs> like, like, the sheer... Like, I watched Steven Universe, you know, I watched Steven's Universe because I love Pearl. Um, uh, and And... Like, just the sheer amount of discourse about that show is crazy because I've never seen, like, any piece of media as, like, consistently good-spirited and, like, and like you know, practically, like, completely obsessed with doing good as, as Steven Universe is. And yet, everyone just complains all the goddamn time. All right, all right. So the thing is, I actually used to be really active in the Steven Universe fandom. Okay. Because, I'm sorry. Uh, Yes, I it, uh, it was a hard time. I'm glad you appreciate how uh, my suffering. Yeah, that <laughs> but, sucks. Um, yeah, it I of course then fled to the Undertale fandom. And then All after right. the Undertale fandom, I fled to the Homestuck fandom. And I don't and I might end up fleeing to another fandom at some point, but I don't see the point because no, no, the discourse never ends. <laughs> <laughs> the discourse here's the thing. There's discourse everywhere. In the real world fandom, there's a there's a ton of discourse. We call it politics. Um and <laughs> And, and, you know, I, like the thing about the thing about doing like discourse, because here's the thing, like this show represents a discourse hydrogen bomb, like so potent <laughs> as to like, you know, as to technically fall under the purview of the test ban treaty. Um, but like the thing that you need to understand when you're discoursing about fiction is that it's supposed to be fun. I actually have a lot of fun talking about Homestuck. If you are not having fun talking about Homestuck, you need to reevaluate your relationship to Homestuck. Exactly. <laughs> like, if we're going to... Media can... I, I made a tweet about this a while ago. Um, media can be deep and meaningful, and you can draw all sorts of things about and theorize, but really the ultimate purpose of, like, kids' cartoons, at least, is to have fun with them. And really, if you aren't having fun with whatever piece of media you're consuming, what what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it's it's... 
Here's the thing about being a fan of something. The awesome thing about being a fan of something is that it's not your job. <laughs> and 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 if if it's no longer fun or enriching, if it's stressful to be a fan of something, then you can just peace out. Um, exactly. And it's just like I'm just I just enjoy lobbing a, dis- a discourse Molotov cocktail from time to time. <laughs> oh, sorry about that, dog. That's fine. It's not, I've got a bird yelling on most episodes of this podcast, so. Um, God, what was, all right. When someone new comes on the show, the first thing that I like to ask, uh, is, uh, uh, what's your history with, you, you sort of described this a little bit. You went on a fandom, I guess, uh, slide. Um, you fell into the, you fell into the undertale sinkhole, which brought you, you to Homestuck. When, when was that? When did you first get into Homestuck? All right. So, um, almost exactly a year ago, actually, I went to this uh, writing camp specifically designed for world building up in Washington. And the friend I actually went to the, um, I went to the live show with, uh, came in there with a Homestuck shirt and also some Steven Universe merch. And because I was really bored because I basically had my entire project done from the get-go, uh, I decided to do something incredibly ill-advised and asked her to sell me on Homestock. Those are my exact words. So, um, so she's a good friend. She didn't like... If she was a good friend, she wouldn't have said anything. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> but but um, she was actually pretty civil about it. It was... I don't remember her exact words, but it was the best pitch uh, I, I've ever gotten for Homestock because... Instead of talking about weird plot shit and all the stuff, she said she talked about how gay it was and how like there's a bunch of trans subtext and being like a little baby trans that I was and like the first time I was ever out in public, I was like, oh, okay, cool, I'll take a look. And my life has been consumed by this aroboros of pretension and gayness ever since. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, you you also got to see the era where the trans subtext became trans text, which is very nice and fun. Exactly. Um, but, it, God, there's so much trans subtext in Homestuck. There's trans subtext even I didn't see. Like, following, like, Sam Fatekeeper on Twitter, which everyone should do, um, you know, she's identifying a significant amount of the trans subtext surrounding surrounding John Egbert that I was just like, I just got a vibe, but Sam, Sam is grabbing screenshots. <laughs> yeah, I noticed some of those. You retweeted some of those tweets. I was like, oh, Oh. It really is just there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, God. Uh, and, and, well, so you're, you're a very recent, you're a very recent addition to the, to the cadre of Homestucks then. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I did try getting into it when I was like 13 in, uh, 2013, 2014, one of those two. I, I know, I don't know how to do math and calculate things based on my age but anyways um i tried getting into it that my mom looked over the shoulder one day and saw that there was the fuck word in one of the passion logs and said no you can't do that and because i'm a good little girl i just stopped <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fun yeah i when i was 13 my mom confiscated a stephen colbert book from me because there was the fuck word in it 
And uh, postdoc yeah. didn't start until I was 16. So, like, I was subsisting on other things at the time. Um, I genuinely, the people who started Homestuck when they were, like, 13, I, I admire them very much. And also, I'm a little afraid of them because they were slightly <laughs> raised by Homestuck. <laughs> they grew up alongside the Homestuck kids, the thing, which is, who? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Weird to think about. Yeah. Anyways, so we should probably talk about, like, the actual topic of this episode at some point. Yeah, but I mean, look, we're, here's the thing. The first 10 minutes of every Pigeon Pod are just the bullshit 10 minutes. Let's be real yeah. about this. We, we know fair. this. The fact, like, like the fact that I haven't brought up the fact, like, the, the sporting match that's currently on my other monitor right now is 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 a goddamn miracle. Um, <laughs> in case anyone's wondering, it's Tottenham Hotspur versus Aston Villa, and Aston Villa is winning for some ungodly reason. Um, I have... No idea what any of those words mean. Can you guess what I, sport it is? No. <laughs> I'm the only one no. in this community who knows about sports, and I think that's very brave and sexy of me. Uh, um, all right, so this week... Oh, wait. First off, this week in Homestuck... Uh, so there was oh. there was no content, but I do want I do want to give a shout out to my man Andrew Hussey um, for the for Instagram.com slash eboy hussey um, where it's he amazing. is just absolutely I, I look I need to I need to level with you I need you to go to this Instagram account right now and I need you to look at these pictures and I need you to look me in the eyes listener and I, and I want to tell you like those fits are absolute fucking fire all right like. Exactly, yeah. Like, once you get over the shock of this thing actually existing, he absolutely slays that look. Yeah, he does. He's a fat, he's a, we just have to accept that we now live in a world where Andrew Hussey, the 40-year-old creator of Homestuck, um, is a fashion icon. And personally, I like that world. I'm pro, I'm pro yeah. living in that world. And I can't wait to see what the next e-boy fits are, are going, are going to be. Same here. Oh, and also, um, nothing actually official has happened, but several Homestuck staff members, including Aisha at the live show and uh, uh, Trace online and Twitter, several times have been being very ominous about something that's apparently going to happen on Tuesday. Who knows? Maybe we're the, maybe I'm the fool, and it's going to be ultimately nothing. But I'm on edge. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, there's pro there's some, there's probably some stuff happening. Uh, there's also a thing, uh, you know, if you're a fan of the vast error side of things, um, I believe we're going to release a new Snowbound Blood later today. Um, cool. cool. Yeah. And that's very exciting. And, uh, let's see, uh, Veritas Une wrote both routes for this one. Uh, but I contributed a scene as well, uh, which I'm very excited about <laughs> and, you know, lovers of cougars will probably like as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay. and whether I'm referring to the animal a cougar or, or a person who could be described as a cougar, it's really it's 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 going to be fifty fifty until you play it. Why not both? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's get let's get started. So we wanted to talk about the ultimate self, which has been it's been a, it's been a concept uh, at great you know at, at great discussion, uh, especially since the epilogues. So obviously, we touched on the ultimate self a little bit in Homestuck um, with. Uh, both alternate Calliope and Dave Petta talking to Jade about it, um, and offering different perspectives on it. And we got a new perspective on it, um, from these epilogues, uh, from both Rose and Dirk, um, 
with Dirk's perspective being uh, that it's like Dragon Ball fucking Z. Um, yeah. And, and Rose's perspective being that it's like, uh, you know, somewhere in the third chapter of a Lovecraft book, but with less racism. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I feel like in order to properly talk about the ultimate self, we need to sort of define what the ultimate self is. Uh, we need to have a working definition at least because we're fans who are completely bullshitting about this thing and I don't think anybody but Andrew and maybe not even Andrew has any idea what this is about. But um, Sorted Condition on Discord asked, the ultimate self is still kind of a nebulous concept. What are each of your personal definitions and headcans on how it even works? Will old self characters always gain narrative understanding and or control? Lil Hal Dirk's Leonard, Steve Bot remember being Nepeta, etc. etc. So I want to hear uh, your thoughts on this because I'm going to go into a pretty obscure metaphor about this and you're probably going to phrase it better than I could. Uh -huh. um, you know, so so one of Homestuck's core themes, one of the core things that you see most about Homestuck is, um, is this notion of uh, conditional identity or how you see these characters in various different circumstances, in various different universes, still maintaining some consistent element of themselves, right? Um, and for some of these characters, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, you know, for example, you see... Uh, you know, you see how, and especially with Dirk, who's, you know, obsessed with identity, you see the various different ways that circumstances color the way that Dirk acts. Um, and uh, for some characters, it's almost paradoxical, right? You, uh, when Arania is first introduced, you you have almost no idea how this person could have grown up to be Mindfang um, until much later. Uh, and, and, I think that's that's the idea of like nature versus nurture and how much of our identity is fundamental to us and how much of our identity is dependent on the environment around us um, is critical to the understanding of Homestuck. And the ultimate self is that aspect of identity that persists regardless of circumstance um, and and how various characters manifest and understand that self um, varies just as wildly as the circumstances that those characters are in. Um, some characters see it as a bad thing, recognizing and understanding their ultimate self. Characters like Terezi see it as a path towards understanding, see it as something that, that, that guides them, that, that almost obsesses them with want. Um, characters like Dave Petta see it as something that they accept calmly and, 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 uh, and, and happily. Um, and and characters like Dirk are tortured by it, um, and and you know do and see it as a as a burden almost. Uh, and I and you know I don't think there's one consistent answer for what is an ultimate self beyond that spark of what makes a Homestuck character unique and distinct. Yeah, like I feel like um, especially with the um, epilogues being the format of a fan fiction, I feel like. The ultimate self is what people are kind of worried about on a subcon. Wow, that makes no sense. Um, what I'm trying to say is that the ultimate self is the characterization of a character that you have to keep in mind, no matter what AU or fan fiction that you're writing. Like the one thing that makes, or multiple things in some cases, that makes that character them. And my own take on it, or at least on how like the ultimate self is constructed, is that it's kind of this feedback loop. The ultimate self is this template that all iterations of a character are essentially built off of. And it's this very basic, fundamental thing to their characters. But each character also introduces new things from their own experiences, 
which go to the ultimate self and may in turn influence other iterations of this character in this sort of big, weird feedback loop. And one of my, uh, the metaphor I want to go with here is Planeswalker from MTG, Magic the Gathering. So each Planeswalker has a certain mechanical theme that goes along with them that you're nearly always going to see whenever they come up. But the first time that these characters were introduced, those mechanical themes were entirely new to them. And when new iterations of Planeswalker are introduced, they may introduce new themes into the whole mechanical whole that that they have. And that may in turn influence new cards that were made in this sort of cyclical thing, which I think is a fundamentally homesick thing, this whole loop where you can't really see the beginning or end of anything. Mm -hmm. That makes any sense Paradox space. Paradox space, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, So we should also probably talk about the ultimate selves that we know about in canon. And Kansas Duck at Space Arby's asked, is there a true ultimate self? Like, does the definition of ultimate self vary from person to person and remain true each time? Or is there a correct approximation of what that is for both characters? If there is one true version, do you think any of the characters are right? And Cool Girl, speak, asked on Discord, does every character just interpret the ultimate self differently? Or does this also extend to the ultimate self being mechanically different for each character? And... My personal interpretation is, yes, each character has, like, a fundamentally different ultimate self, not just in terms of, oh, they're different people, but also how it works and manifests in terms for each character. And that, and it kind of ties back to the class spec system, because, like, Dark becomes this primordial soup of souls and identities and all these extremely messy things just sort of melding in his brain because he's broken down across so many things with the splinters. Um, well, Vriska is... I think I'm going to talk about Vriska later because this is that's an entirely theoretical thing that I worked on and actually tweeted about a little bit. Yeah, but back. you know, we have to... Like, we legally have to talk about Vriska, so I appreciate you bringing the juice this time. All right. So, <laughs> um, like, yeah. It also This also kind of ties into Gumi's question. Can you really consider your ultimate self inherently good thing after what we've seen happen to Dirk? And I want your take on this, actually. Okay. Like, what... Um, my personal opinion is that they just are. In a similar way to Paradox Space just is. It's a morally neutral thing because it's a thing that exists, and no matter how horrible it may be, you also wouldn't exist without it yeah as you yeah uh, you know whether whether you whether you're aware of it or not every character in this story has an ultimate self um and you know to, to get a little to get a little like fandom wanky about it like you can see that in all the various alternate universe fix that that uh characters have have taken part in right there is something about those characters that remains recognizable and understandable when you read an au fic right um, exactly. And this this extends to the supplementary material of the work itself. There's things about the characters that remain consistent and recognizable, even in paradox space webcomic stories that are not set in the main universe, right? Um, right. And and that is what the ultimate self is. Uh, it is it is the inescapable aspect of your identity. Um, but what you do with the realization of your ultimate self, and and I do I want to uh, I want to 
portray this as as I want to I want to draw a contrast between this and narrative control. Um, the ultimate self yeah. is just an is just a concept that is fundamental. It's effectively the soul that Homestuck yes. has. Um, and and you know Dirk is is has power over souls, right? Like yeah. the, your ultimate self in Homestuck is just a is just a you know fucking specific proper noun way of describing a character's soul. Um, but narrative control is a different piece entirely, and it does seem as though realizing your ultimate self or realizing. Uh, your soul has something to do um, with realizing you are in a story with a narrative that can be controlled. Um, and that level of awareness actually reminds me, and I'm going to, so, so you did your obscure fantasy reference, so now I'm going to get into my obscure fantasy reference um, of uh, Elder Scrolls lore, which is there's something uh, buried deep in Elder Scrolls lore, so it's only in, like, Morrowind when the lore was actually interesting and before Todd Howard ruined it to make it simpler for babies to understand um, uh, that there's something called uh, Kim uh, C-H-I-M um, and it is effectively a realization that you are in a dream um, that that the world of that the world of Mundus that the world of the Elder Scrolls is being dreamed by a by by a great figure right um, and and uh Chim the re- is the realization that you are in this dream uh, and that you can control it, and it offers you a great deal of what is effectively meta narrative power. Um, and and uh, in addition, uh, the way that one uh, becomes a god in the Elder Scrolls is through a process called mantling, uh, where you take up the mantle of a mythical figure and effectively replace an existing god in the pantheon with yourself through that realization. Um, and you actually see that in the game Oblivion. If you have the Shivering Isles expansion, uh, you, the player character, get to mantle Sheagoreth and take his place as one of the uh, as one of the Daedric princes. Um, oh. And, and, uh, and I think that is an effective way to look at the metaphor here where narrative control is the recognition that you are in a story and the decision to seize the power of that story and take it over. Um, and you know, we see that we've seen that already in the comic itself, right? We saw that with, uh, both Doc Scratch and Caliborn, um, seizing control of the narrative from, um, from Andrew Hussey, right? Um, And so what Dirk is doing, you know, what Dirk did in the epilogues and what Calliope did in the epilogues are precedented actions, right? With, with, uh, with origins that we can understand. Um, and, and it is, and I, I do not know, I don't know if it's exactly precisely correct to say that they're a result of the ultimate self just because Calliope and Dirk describe it that way. I think it's always important for us to recognize that the characters in Homestuck are just as fallible about describing the universe they live in as we are. Yeah, my personal take on it is that the ultimate self can help you realize their control, but it isn't necessarily a prerequisite to it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, all right. Nell asked uh, at Nellcromancer on Twitter, have we really had a good depiction of an ultimate self yet? We've had lots of characters claim to be aware of their ultimate self uh, and of their old selves, but we've never seen a visualization of what the ultimate self looks like. What do you think an ultimate self would really look like? Um, I don't really think an ultimate self really looks like anything visually. Like... On a metaphorical level, it definitely varies from each character, like the specific mechanics, what composites an ultimate self, because each character is their own unique thing. But I feel like 
the ultimate self itself isn't an actually tangible thing that you can see in touch. However, I think Dirk has probably made fan art of Ultra Ultimate Dirk Form 5, though, because he's <laughs> like that. Right, like Dirk wants it to be like anime. He really wants it to be like an anime power-up, but the thing is it just makes him even more of a pretentious jerk than he already is. <laughs> which is, again, which is proof that, uh, you know, which is, again, further proof that anime is antagonism coded in Homestuck. I want to argue, but you're completely right. <laughs> I mean, look at Caliborn. Look Caliborn. at Caliborn's anime art, that, like that—that that, yeah. you know that John rails about, rails against for being for being sexist and and weird. Uh, like anime, anime is fundamentally coded with antagonism in Homestuck, and Dirk Dirk's obsession with anime style concepts just continues that. Like especially with Bro too in yeah. the Beta Universe, like. He was so animated to the point of traumatizing his own uh, kid to the point where he's unable to emotionally connect to other people without, in without intense effort on the other person's part in the feeling of kinship. Right, because it's like, oh, Dave's a shonen protagonist. Yeah, <laughs> and then as it turns out, your the weird way your brain works about framing everything in the ways of anime doesn't really apply to everything you utterly insane asshole <laughs> like like i uh, you know to circle back to the very start here dirk is no longer having fun engaging with fiction <laughs> and i exactly. think i think i think he needs to re reestablish re his uh his relationship to the fiction that he's taking part in um because it just seems to be absolutely miserable for him yes i'm yeah. saying that dirk is one of those people who goes online in a fandom and just gets mad all day yeah he wants it he wants homestead to have a bunch of deeper meaning and he will manipulate the, that other people. He wants Homestuck to have a bunch of deeper meaning that is antithetical to the work itself. And he will manipulate how others perceive the narrative so they'll agree with him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see, a, you see a timeline without Dirk's influence and Candy, um, and it's full of really stupid shit. Um, <laughs> that makes it difficult to take Homestuck seriously. But the, the, end, the end read of Candy is that... Um, you know, there is emotional vindication at the end of it, because as it turns out, like the real dumb shit actually like doesn't doesn't discount from the reality of the world. Like it doesn't all have to be this big like like plot with anime power ups like it doesn't all have to be serious to to be important. This reminds me of a question that I somebody asked. Uh, let me see if I can find it. All right. Th so, thanks, somebody. Donkey 2012 asked on Discord. Out of the characters that have not become their ultimate self yet, which ones do you think would be the most interesting to do so? And Cheshire Creeper asked Discord, which character would you like to see to send the ultimate self and then take over the narrative? And my answer is Carcat. Because he has a bunch of issues that could actually be worked through by seeing his ultimate self. Like, um, for just like a really basic example, Candy Carcat could see how happy he was with Dave in the Meet, uh, meet timeline and become a bit more peace for themselves because that a candy card cat meet car cat could see how awesome and powerful candy car cat is and realize oh i could be that too although not without a bunch of self-deprecation and page log rants but anyways the thing is car cat is an expert in narratives that don't need a bunch of action, of grit, of wham, pow, big battles to still be engaging to the audience. Because rom-coms and sitcoms, too, are engaging for people to read and to watch, to talk about 
without it being incredibly violent and horrible to their characters. Mm-hmm. So, which is why I think he'd actually be really competent in taking over the narrative and helping create a place where it's Homestuck could still be remembered, but it's uh, irrelevant to people and give stuff to talk about without also being deeply antagonistic to its own cast and characters. As far as I remember, um, the characters of How I Met Your Mother never, like, geared up with cool powers for a big final boss fight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And I will admit, I did watch almost that entire show. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, is there anything else? I like Kobe Smulders and Neil Patrick Harris, all right? (laughs) <laughs> even the, I, I found I found, I even found the main guy, whatever the fuck his name is, to be charming. Yeah, this is the, so, welcome to welcome to the How I Met Your Mother podcast. All right, so I thought the ending we, was pretty stupid. I feel like we should also talk about like the different ways. Different <laughs> you're just no selling. You're just totally ignoring my discussion of a thoroughly <laughs> mediocre CBS sitcom that ended years ago. Look. I don't even watch it, and I know it should have ended long before it actually did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go on. Okay, we should talk about um, the different means through which characters send through the to the ultimate self. And forced ascension, like um, what essentially Dirk kind of did to Rose in his own way. Like, in my opinion, the intense pain and suffering that Rose went through at the uh, throughout me as a result of ascending to her ultimate self isn't actually wasn't actually organic to the narrative mm-hmm. and it was something that Dirk ended up applying and kind of expanding upon so that he could more easily get Rose under his thrall but mm-hmm. uh, and we also and there's natural ascension like um how Dave Petta just sort of through the knowledge of so much of suburb itself and all and how suburb is connected to all paradox base in all the dupe timelines and his heart aspect and all the stuff that kind of came together to realize, huh, I, me, all of this is me. And because Dave Petta is just like super chill, they didn't make a whole big deal about it. And then there's artificial ascension, which is what happens when you put somebody in a robot. And my opinion about this is that the robot, the person in the robot doesn't actually experience the ultimate self, like a, like um, even how Rose did it or how they petted it or how Dirk did it. They observe the ultimate self. Mm-hmm. They see all of these iterations of, of themselves, all of these timelines, etc. But they don't actually partake in it and they don't actually like sort of swim in it and either come to accept it as part of themselves like they petted did or have a shit fit like what Dirk did. Mm-hmm. And, which is <laughs> Throw a both. little stupid angry boy tantrum. <laughs> exactly. Which is like, on the one hand, it's probably for the good because you don't want a robot with potentially going crazy by suddenly diving, experiencing all these cells around and just kind of observing them. But on the other hand, it also kind of stunts their, it also potentially stunts their character development a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, which is also... I think a neat metaphor for somebody going into robot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, well, like we've, you know, again, this is something that is precedented in Homestuck, right? We see, uh, like we saw the way Aradia acted as a robot, which was very different than her fully realized self who enjoyed being alive. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, like, and this actually brings me to another question, which I'm really interested in answering. Um, Homeric Horror on Discord asks, thoughts on the analysis of Roxy's acceptance on the specific in disregard of anything other than their regular ass self and candy? Furthermore, how do you think some aspects may react to the ultimate self after already seeing the timey, lady, hardy, and hardy, timey, old self process? So, this is a really good point in regards to Roxy, because I don't think the ultimate self is really a necessary thing at all to continue your growth as a character, either on power metrics or just, like, regular-ass character development metrics. Because some people don't need the ultimate self to kind of accept themselves for who they are. And I think that really boils down to what Roxy did in Me and Candy, because... They were a god. They, their ultimate self probably... In, they probably could have accessed the ultimate self pretty easily if they wanted to, because they could just steal the void from the other instant self within their own memories and essentially, oh, this is also me. But the thing is, they don't need it, because Roxy worked through a lot on their own to mm -hmm. figure out their regular-ass self. Yeah, like, like Roxy like is... like I continue to maintain that Roxy is the character who has their shit together the most of any in Homestuck in terms of, like, an yeah. understanding of self. And, and like, a... Like, I would say that Roxy, like, you know, having having faced all these problems and done some fucked up shit as a kid, like, acknowledged it, understood it, and, like, became... Like, I, Roxy Lalonde is the best person in Homestuck. That is yes. my... That is my... Like, like Roxy Lalonde would best function as a normal-ass person in a normal-ass world compared to anyone else in Homestuck. Yeah, I 100% agree. Like, my personal take on it is that the ultimate self is essentially kind of a tool some characters can use and find to help understand and grow as a person. Mm -hmm. And some it, and Roxy just doesn't need that. They are just chill with who they are because they spent some time figuring out their own without fancy magic alternate timeline bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> and. I feel like there's a, spe there's a specific reason for why Dirk in particular got the ultimate self so hard is that a, he really, he's obsessed with himself. He wants to learn more about himself. Even if he doesn't want to actually grow as a person, he's just obsessed with the concept of himself and B because he viewed it as this anime power up, this new form he could do that take, take over the narrative in some flashy, whatever, um, the ultimate self just ended up absolutely hammering on him because he didn't know how to actually properly handle it, and he ended up brute forcing it into something that he thought it should do. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like with <sighs> Rose, Rose. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about Rose uh, right after this break. Uh, we're gonna head on over to the Boon Bucks. The Boon Bucks Boonatorium. Man, <laughs> these names just keep getting worse. Uh, it's called the, the Boon Buck Zone. The okay. Boon Buck. Well, no, because that, that seems a little too derivative of the of those of those West Virginian boys that we all know about. Hey, everybody, Kate here. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode. Uh, it's been so great to have Artemis on and talk about this stuff. She's great. Um, 
I wanted to talk about some stuff coming up. Uh, we got Pigeon Pod Live in Chapel Hill coming up on October 26th. Uh, you can go to pigeonpod.com slash live and get $5 tickets to that show. Um, the tickets are for the venue. Uh, we're going to be at an actual at a comedy club, so I hope we bring our, our yucks, our real funny A-game. Me, Crow, and Aisha U. Farah uh, will be we'll be talking in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, loved our last show in Renton. Loved the show before that in Burbank. Um, I, it's incredible to get to, to meet and talk to so many folks, um, about this shared passion of ours. Uh, and that reminds me, this show is listener supported. Um, half of all patron donations go to the guests, contributors, and artists on this show. Uh, and I wanted to thank our Skylark tier patrons, Bucky Grant, Carmen, Finn Hickey, Goomba Masta, Hare, Alexander Strider, Isaac Chapman, J.R. Hyde, J. Logan, Conduit of Queerness Itself, Kansas Just Got Gayer, Krista Lockery, Paravillex, Rose Reardon, Taylor Dierks, Tina Kell, First Communism, X-Teen, Yo Johnson, Yo It's Crow, and Zach. Um... You can support the show at patreon.com slash pigeonpod. Uh, becoming a patron, uh, even for just a dollar an episode, gives you access to every episode of Intermission. Uh, that's 11 episodes and counting of bonus shows from the Perfectly Generic podcast. Uh, some of them are about Homestuck, like the incredible first episode with Optimistic Duelist, which was about his uh, great essay about Rose. Um, and some of them are about shit like Sonic and Forza Horizon. Um, it's just, you know, it's a weird it's a weird show. Uh, and I, and I, I really enjoy the chance to do it thanks to your support um you can find the show perfectly generic podcast.com uh, you can find it on itunes google play or spotify um please give it a rating or review on those stores uh it really helps us get the podcast in front of more people um and as always uh you can live blog the show with hashtag pigeon pod on twitter i love seeing people's reactions i love engaging with people um i just like talking about homestuck man let's get back to that then see you on the other side That was that was a good time. That was that was great. I loved hearing those names of patrons um, and information about the two upcoming live shows. Uh, tell us about Rose, Artemis. All right. The thing about Rose is that, in my honest opinion, she is intentionally closed, like not actually giving anything to the narrative of what her ultimate self experience is actually right like because. I feel like we can all agree, everybody's listening to the podcast right now, that the Sears have a play. They have a plan that is contradictory to whatever Dirt is having, or not necessarily completely contradictory, but at cross purpose. Mm-hmm. Because I do not think Rose Lalonde, when given access to this, this transcendent experience, wouldn't blather about it in pseudo-philosophical terms at every opportunity, unless she had... If she wanted to keep something close to her chest for a place, she's hoping to do that blood. Yeah, and let's remember that this whole story of the epilogue started um, with a choice that John made to go speak to Rose or not. And it's a choice that Roxy implied in the prologue that, you know, she had some knowledge of. And you see, yeah. like, you know, in Calliope's reaction to each of John's choices that there's... There's like something like Roxy Calliope seemed to understand something that that yeah. we that we never quite get a full get a full look at. Um, and that comes to and that comes with, uh, you know, the fact that Roxy has discussed with Rose what's going on with her. Yeah, like. If, if this point has made 
several has been made several times already in the podcast, but if you think the two two of the most powerful active movers and shakers in all of Homestuck don't have a play to a plan of their own, even if they're not necessarily sharing a plan, they've got to have some sort of agenda, and there's no way they're just acting as Dirk's pseudo harem because all all shonen boys need a harem, even if they're gay. That's, that's just how, the <laughs> that's how works. Dirk thinks. And here's the thing that also that also you know that also jives with um, like Doc Scratch and and Lord English's like collection of powerful bitches. Yeah. It actually does. I didn't think of that angle before. Um, so, uh, oh, right, this reminds me. There was somebody uh, at Floristuck made a really good thread on Twitter, which I'm going to try to find right now, because it made some really interesting, good points that I want to talk about here. All right. Uh, this, uh, I probably should have saved it in... A space instead of just being like ah okay here it is all right so it started with a question and then kind of went on from there so at flory stock on twitter said does ascending to your ultimate self prevent you from growing as a person if not then what is the ultimate self from the comic i thought of it as the conceptual sum of characters experiences and personalities and our perception of the character as an outsider with everything with everything Dirk does in the epilogues, he's trying to blatantly stealing from amazing fanfics here, tarnish the idea of Dirkness, enhance our perception of him as a character, thus become a villain and a cause to continue telling the story, etc. But more generally, is it even possible for a character to have a single self, or does it vary from each person depending on perceiving that character? In the epilogues, we see Dirk trying to influence our perception of him, but he has no way to perceive to what degree he succeeds. Since in the end, don't we all, us readers, sort of have our own versions of our beloved character's ultimate selves. I think it's worth noting that those very old souls inside us are, probably most, influenced considerably by Fanon as well as the official canon, trademark. So, like Dirk and other old selves, if they so wanted to, keep on trying to change our perception of them, and they might succeed at doing so for readers. But there's no way to automatically win at that, to change the ultimate self, single absolute entity representing that character, because, well, no such entity exists. Dirk grapples with becoming a villain because he wants people to keep telling stories about Homestuck, and because he fears that if he does it, the world will become irrelevant, untold. There's a f- sense of a flaw to that. Maybe villainizing himself will prompt a story told on Homestuck.com because people will continue to give a shit, but does it mean, does it even make sense to be worried about that? The thing about Homestuck is that we already give a shit. Virtually every Homestuck character already exists deeply in so many people's minds, and we certainly tell stories about them. They have very little to fear, except in the very longest term, when it comes to people not giving a shit about them. I suppose Dirk is scared of people not giving a shit because he associates irrelevance, by which I mean non-canonicity, literally not existing. And as a result, not perceiving anything anymore. So, so he sees himself as doing a favor to all of his friends when he forces them as canon. But, bring this back to the general topic, would it be possible for a character to send their old self and be aware of all the same concepts as Dirk? And yet, not be bothered, but choose to live life, perhaps tell their own stories in a more benevolent manner, instead of some, instead of in some way that these people tell more stories about them. I'm imagining an old self would have the same fundamental fear of closure like Dirk does. It seems possible to me, and for the heck of it, which Homestuck character accuses the ascending of this way? Um, well, um, I mean, well, we have to talk about Calliope here, because, yeah. you know, Calliope is not entirely benevolent and not entirely correct, but, like, 
like, you know, cards on the goddamn table, she's dealing with it a lot more healthily and a lot more kindly to the characters than <laughs> than Dirk does. Yeah. yeah, like, Dirk is... I feel like, um... I feel like his fear of becoming irrelevant and his universe fading from people's minds is actually... He actually does think like that, and that isn't some bullshit mask. Right. At least at first. Well, and he's afraid to not exist. We know this about afraid, Dirk. Yeah, he's afraid to not exist. And But I feel like he sort of became lost in the sauce along the way. I don't really know how to put it better. And sort of having this power trip over everyone because God knows an egotistical, white-haired anime boy who already it, views himself as a machinist who tries to control everything around him doesn't need more power. Yeah. Power is the worst thing that's ever happened to Dirk. Um, and, and yeah. like... Again, for I don't think what the epilogue said was that Dirk is fundamentally a bad person. I think that Dirk plus power makes choices that he believes are benevolent um, without being concerned about how you, the audience, perceive him. Um, and power yeah. enables those choices to be more and more destructive. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, we brought the, again, this has been brought up a show a number of times, but like, the soul, I think. That, so for somebody as intelligent as Dirk, I think he would have come up with in, he could have come up with another alternate way of like changing the narrative so people would still be interested in it without thoroughly fucking over so many people's lives. In I think the sole reason he did that is one, he didn't reach out for help from anybody, and two, he was throwing a tantrum over Jake English. <laughs> yeah, you know my man. Just cannot, you know. We also know this. He, he just cannot deal with his feelings for Jake in any sort of like calm way. <laughs> yeah. God. So, um, I made a thread on Vriska's ultimate self a little while back. So yes, now we're getting I like in our legally required Vriska mention. And uh, honestly, I'm just. Do you mind if I just, like, read it no, out? No, do on it, here? do it. This show okay. is for reading all your good tweets. All right. So, a common complaint about Vriska Miriam Lalonde is that she acts exactly like her ancestor, despite sharing none of her traumas slash life-defining experience. But I'd like to argue that it's because VML's background is so si different from Vriska's that she acts so similar. We can answer this critique through two primary lenses. VML as a deconstruction of the legacy character in VML as an exploration of Vriska's ultimate self. Let's talk about the prior interpretation first. What we have to understand about VML is that she is lived in the shadow of Vriska her entire life. Mm -hmm. She knows the lore. Rose and Kanaya viewed VML as Vriska's second chance, a chance to carry on her heroic legacy while leaving her villainous one behind. I say villainous with heavy quotes because Vriska's circuit did nothing wrong. But circuits have an issue with taking the exact wrong lessons from the problematic circuits of the era's past. For both Vriska's and Arania's worst traits were deliberately patterned off of mind thing. It's only natural for VML to hear stories of Vriska's legendary exploit and say, wow, Ken. Yet there's a darker side to VML's hard Ken and Vriska. To Rose and Kanaya's knowledge, if John never went to fight Lord English, then the duty fell to Vriska. From their point of view, Vriska is directly responsible for their ability to have a happy ending. Wouldn't it suck hearing all about the great things your ancestor did and knowing that there's nothing you could do to measure up to her deeds? A way to make up for this perceived inadequacy would be to emulate her in other ways. 
would also be hard to look at the deteriorating world and feel that it doesn't need another Vriska. Someone to take charge, be a hero, to save everybody. If she wins the war, VML could feel like she's measuring up, and imitating the biggest winner ever is a good start. While like everything in Homestuck, VML can be analyzed at many levels. So considering how much the epilogues themselves discuss of them itself, it would be remiss of me not to bring it up here. The ultimate self is an nebulous concept, but for the purpose of this meta, I'll be using this definition. The ultimate self is the base template from which every iteration of a character is modeled from, and it's where all their individual identities overlap. This is a huge problem for Dirk, whose self-scattered across so many beings and entangled without his identities. This is a problem for Daves, due to all of the dead Daves. This is a problem for Rose, due to herself being entangled with outer beings. Note, Rose's ascension is very cosmic coded, which is where I got that reading from. But Vriska, well, there's Vriska. Vriska. Vriska, I like that. <laughs> and VML, Tavros, very, very briefly. That's pretty much it. There's a certain inherent briskness that's impossible to tamper or mix with. That's why she spread exploded so quickly when she was merged with Tavros. Considering that Vriska steals the narrative, it's not outside the realm of possibility that she could straight up nope anything and everything that tries to interfere with her fundamental briskness. Mm-hmm. She's just Vriska. Wait, r- remember, remember, I'm sorry to interrupt your thread, but remember that Vriska literally takes over the narrative briefly in Homestuck. Yeah, she, she pulls steals. the camera back to to yeah. where she's to where she is. Yeah, so who who knows? She might become the next narrator. I'd honestly kind of like to see that, but let's continue. Um, Briska's identity is so grounded that she made her made an entire archetype for fuck's sake. Nothing will stop her from being herself, no matter the timeline. That's what her ultimate self is. In conclusion, Briska is Briska is Briska. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, um, that's honestly the thing I, the thing I've ever, the biggest thing I've ever tweeted I'm most proud of, because, you know, Riska, and because it surpassed my Strider man paint red. Yeah. Which I'm so glad it did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a Strider but, man paint. It gets clicks. It gets clicks. We got it. We got to yeah. all admit that. It really does. Um, so, man. Vriska. Like, like I said in that thread, I feel like Vriska's ultimate self is, for all intents and purposes, a good portion of just Alpha Vriska. Mm-hmm. Because she, like, she takes all the spotlight, all the narrative, all, all the narrative control, and she shines it on herself. That's her role as the thief of light. And it wouldn't make sense for her to give give control of what is fundamentally her to some nebulous concept of the ultimate self. Like, no, that's me. I'm yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Vriska also meets, like, Vriska is aware of her other selves because she literally just meets and interacts with them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, part of Flory Suck's question, if that uh, I think we kind of brushed over, is does ascending to your ultimate self prevent you from growing as a person? And my uh, response is, uh, let's get into some w- w- Wikipedia page philosophy here, is the philosophy uh, that Nietzsche, I believe, proposed of eternal recall, of if a demon came to you in the middle of your life and said, you have lived this life a countless, time and you'll, countless times and you will live this life again for infinitely more times, would you cry with consolate despair or would you laugh with joy and i feel like that's kind of 
the ultimate self, is that knowing that a part of you has experienced so many things in ways that are different and similar to what you've experienced on yourself, and whether you can come to terms with the fact that you've existed as you are and probably better of probably infinite amount of times, if you could accept that, I feel like that's what helps you reach your truest potential in mm-hmm. context. Yeah, uh, it's... <laughs> it, hmm. Trying to gather my thoughts on this. Crawling around like weevils. Um, but, but like, yeah, it's, I, you know, I think fundamentally, like your perspective on, on the ultimate self is just your perspective on your regular ass self. Like, like, I actually think that Roxy has it right. I think Roxy has the right of it. I think Dave Petta has the right of it too. Like, I, I think that it's, uh, maybe actually not a federal fucking issue and it's just part of existing in this universe and this world is this understanding that, you know, there are infinite stories happening and you can either grow obsessed with that and constantly like jump through the lanes and and try to weave these stories together into loops like Lord English did, or you can stay in your lane and live the life you have. You can like the life you're living. You can live the life you like. You can even marry Harry and mess around with Ike. (laughs) All right. Um, Chicago. So, you're too young. I'm too young. It's a good film. So I feel like um, for every, all of you listeners feel like getting extremely pretentious and going on pseudo philosophical rambles that you really have no idea what you're talking about as how I've been doing for the majority of the podcast. Uh-huh. Um, if you want to write about ultimate selves, um, one, it's really good place is it's a really interesting good topic it ups to you two i am sorry <laughs> three um i've kind of put together a guide for how i personally approach them so ultimately just kind of free will it ultimate cells depend wholly on the character you're dealing with when in doubt go with your gut but if you want a more scientific approach first you need more than one data two works three is best um I am going to use Cecily uh, from the fake I'm currently writing, Starbound Blues, uh, as part of this example. And if you're fresh out of incarnations, use all of your AU ideas to figure out how a character would act in the X situation, why it would influence them. From there, figure out the core of their personality, whatever runs deep between all iterations, and how it would manifest more symbolically. Big class specs. This is probably a difficult concept for me to put to that example, so... Dork dissolving his own identities, uh, that of others, create this whole big, unmanageable virtual soup of soul inside his brain, and his machine, machine is scheming, puppet, mm, soul nature. <laughs> Delicious. Yeah, slurp, slurp. <laughs> slurp. All right. Um, <laughs> and his machine is scheming, puppeteering nature, giving control of the narrative, uh, due to also having himself in basically every corner of it due to his connection to Dr. Crash and Lord English, and Friska's friskiness, not allowing any potential Friska iteration to act, not Friska, Callie's tendency of framing things in narrative length to watch the world of story, and how I approach Cecily in particular is that Cecily's whole life has been influenced by how the world kind of treats her like shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and... 
honest, and she responds to it in a very particular way by developing these particular neuroses, by uh, finding ways to vet herself with, and I feel like the wor- uh, the world kind of treating her like shit is a core part of her identity, and there wouldn't be, I feel like there aren't a lot of good Cecily stories where she isn't working through her working through her trauma somehow, because that's a core part of her character, and erasing that would mean erasing a good part of, a very large part of her character, and a large part of what makes her interesting. Cecily is fundamental, is like a character fundamentally incompatible with a coffee shop AU. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I'm getting at. So, and she share, and at least how I read her, she shares kind of a similar trope, specifically her thing with Alina Robiad throughout both Starbound Blues and um, Snowbound Blood. Spoilers, I guess. Um, and But how she responds to it is different because the context that she's in is very different in Starbound Blues. And you need to think about, okay, if this is what makes the character this character how would they respond to that in various different contexts? Uh, and from there, you can also kind of figure out how their ultimate self would work mechanically in terms of how it interfaces with their mind, how it like, um, uh, how they would think of it as well in terms of their class back, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what's their time actually? Cause I want to say this one particular we got, we got, we got like five, five to ten minutes left. All right. So, um, what I want to end on is, what does the ultimate self mean for the story? I have no fucking clue. But <laughs> since I've already said I've been bullshitting this uh, whole podcast so far, so there's no harm about like speculation. Homestuck has always used fantastical methods of categorization to act as frames to define characters with and outline for their arcs and actions in roles that they struggle to grapple with. But with Suburb, and thus the mythological roles, dream moons, etc., being largely relevant in the epilogues, there need to be a new abstraction to help explore characters' place, thus the ultimate self. It explores what characters could have been and the core of who they are, which are very salient questions that the characters grapple with, and the epilogues, like is like John's whole malaise and candy, and eventually realizing that no matter what may be going on, the wider world and the dubious canonicity of, of his own timeline, he still needs to find his own place and his own regular ass self in it, so he can try to live a happy life. Uh, stuff like that. And by the ultimate self, by the more contemplative nature of rather than the cut and dry ish ish, because I know a lot of and I'll just go into class specs, moves the story into even more philosophical bullshit territory, which makes things for an interesting, different kind of read than Home Sub Proper, which I honestly think is what um, Andrew and the rest of the writing team were going for. Yeah, you know, it's it's obviously again with with our talk about the epilogues as a transitional work, it's 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 did like the epilogues actually didn't finish making really any of the points that they were making. Um, other than that, like, you know, to, to have a happy ending is incompatible with, um, the idea of, of having a story that drives continued interest. Um, conflict is necessary. That's, that's, that's the core message of the epilogues that sort of finished what it was trying to say, but it also introduced a lot of new concepts and then left the conclusions to be drawn from them to the reader. Um, which is definitely part of, of 
like the appeal and also part of the frustration, right? Everything good about the epilogues is also a, is also a frustration point because it's it's a yeah. thing that's designed like, much like Homestuck sticks in your head. The epilogues do as well, and some people don't like that. <laughs> they, they, some people wanted the epilogues to give a definitive end to Homestuck so they could get out of their lives and move on. But we're never getting off Mr. Hussey's wild ride, people. You just accept it at this point. It's like the only way to get Homestuck off your mind is just to uh, sort of make peace with it mentally. Like, uh, you know, like Roxy. Yeah, if, like if, Roxy. You, if you if you want to if you want to make peace with Homestuck, then then look to Roxy's example, not Dirk's. Not Dirk's. No. Don't you shouldn't look to Dirk's example for anything. Hello, Dirk yeah. Kinney's listening to this episode. I hope you're doing all right. <laughs> Oh man! Wait, are Dirk Kitties part of Dirk's ultimate self? Yes, absolutely, a hundred percent. They're 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 like um they're like an external server farm that like heightens his power. And those group chats that they have, where they're just constantly like arguing with each other over bullshit philosophy things, like that is like that's like like the Amazon AWS remote server for Dirk's narrative processing power. Yes. Of course, we hadn't gotten it. In, we had we didn't go much into the weeds this episode. It's we didn't get super off topic. We didn't say a bunch of curse shit, so I had to end with something like that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, all right, I'm pretty sure. I think that's our show. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at gamblignan8. Um, and uh, you know, uh, let's see here. Is there anything else I, I need to say at the end here now? Because I did it in the middle. Um, Check out, uh, check out, check out Snowbound Blood, uh, vasterror.itch.io. Uh, we're gonna drop a thing, I think, today. Tomorrow at the latest. Um, and I'm very excited about it. I'll probably stream it. Um, where can folks find you, Art? All right, so I'm at Artemis Ruby uh, on Twitter. It's spelled A-R-T-E-M-I-S-B-E-Y because people spell both my first and last name all the time so you'll need to spell it out and uh-huh well it will be I'm in te- the episode title so yeah uh, i'm technically on tumblr but i don't want anybody following me on tumblr well, so then don't I'm- shout it out yeah people should read uh, your fic and i'm not just saying that because oh, it's yeah. about one of my characters but like you know all right yeah um i also i'm at the doom kitten um on ao3 and i'm currently writing a fic called Starbound Blue, which is about Cecily and Tizius finding crime. Um, it's not actually at the Cecily and Tizius finding crime point yet, but you know we're getting there. I'm uh, Kate helps me edit it, and I'm genuinely proud of what I, I'm doing with it and what I'm playing with doing, doing with it. So um, yeah, I love it. It's cool. If you like, um, if you like teal bloods and other sort of blue bloods, maybe sometime in the future, wink, wink. Um, yeah, go check it out. Is that a motherfucking Vriska reference? Pretend there's a smile emoticon. All right, all right. Well, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, next week, um, let's see. Is this happening? Uh, yeah. Uh, so next week, uh, Sarah Zadig is going to host the show. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to what, to whatever she has to do. So I'll be, I'll be off next week. Um, I'll do an intermission so that I still make a cursory appearance for patrons. Uh, see you next week. Yeah, see you. Snake Solutions LLP.